go. Money talks. Here comes the money. Money, money, Welcome to the Free Money Podcast, where we serve up the Brooklyn Bay Area consensus about institutional investment management that you desperately crave. Uh, yeah, is there any consensus right now? I think feel, things feel pretty disconnected, Ash. Uh, I don't know what's going on. I'm ready to just <laughs> like turn off my Wi-Fi and uh, sleep for a week. The you know, I was looking the other day. The Nasdaq, which is one of our stock markets, mm-hmm. is up twenty percent mm-hmm. over the last twelve months. That's, like, uh, that's insane this to is, me. This is like we are having the, one of the biggest economic crises, healthcare crises in the history of our country. And one of our core stock market <laughs> indices is up 20%. Yeah. Like, I, I think the total death count in the United States would be like if uh, 0.5% of New York City had dropped dead. My gosh. Uh, like, yeah. So, one two hundredth of the city. Like, you know. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, and it's like, you know, things are... Ta- I mean, Zoom taking off, I understand, right? Individual yes. tech stocks taking off, like the situation has changed, that that I understand. But like, I mean, even the S&P is not so far down. And I mean, it's not like, you know, it's just tech stocks that are rallying. Everything is feels kind of disconnected from the reality on the ground. It feels totally disconnected. And, and I mean, I, I was uh, joking this that like, are these just like all of the ridiculous assumptions that we bake into our investment models coming back yep. to bite us in the butt? Like, uh, you know, our rational actor models, our efficient markets hypotheses, and all these things that like are clearly wrong yep. are being, you know, misused in order to price things that um, are really hard to price. Like, how the hell are you guys in the financial services industry like discounting cash flows right now? Like, what is that? Oh my! What does God. that look I, yeah. like? I, I was reading like the Economist leader for this week's Economist has like a, a thing about how um, you know markets are pretty screwed up and GDP this quarter could be down as much as ten percent year over year, right? The Bureau of Economic Analysis yeah. just put out their now casting thing, uh, GDP now. They're seeing forty two point eight percent year over year. What? Yeah. So I mean, that's a that's a pretty huge miss in the space of a week. <laughs> Like, isn't that an input in your Excel <laughs> spreadsheet somewhere? You're, you know, like you had a valuation that you put that in there and you're like, oh, that's way lower. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Like, it's, I remember there's like a South Park episode at one point where I forget which one it is. And they're trying to trying to figure out how to tell the future. And it turns out the process is going down into into the, you know, the under the what's underneath the Vatican and talking to the giant spider that lives there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, there is like a serious point here, uh, yeah. which I'll try not to make long because it's just who wants serious points. Um, the whole world of investment related technology. So we all assume here that financial analysts are like, they got all these screens on their desk and they're, they're just such geniuses making plans about where to allocate capital and how to price things and how to be smart. Um, two, two big points. First, when you see eight computer screens on anybody's desk anywhere, you should know they have terrible technology because the that's whole a, point that, is, it's, a, it's a weird flex. Yeah. The whole point <laughs> of technology is to like integrate all this data into a single thing. That's what makes Google Maps so elegant, right? It yeah. integrates all this alternative data and to help you make plans for the future. The second thing is 
when we think of a lot of the investment technology out there, it's all about a point in time, and that time is now. So when you look at like Aladdin or State Street DGX or SimCorp or Adapar or any of these platforms, they're telling you where your portfolio is today. And yes, you need to know where you are today in order to plan the future. But the list of tools that most big pension funds and sovereign funds use to make plans about the future, generally one, one tool, and it's called Microsoft Excel. The, the so, queen of all programs. Oh, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And so like the, the hardest part about being an investor is planning for the future, thinking about pacing, liquidity, cash flow, commitments, fees, you know, rebalancing, you name it, deal sizing, all these things that are so critical we're still doing in this like 1980s technology. And so like there's part of me that wonders, is the market doing this because we're trying to like reconcile the most crazy crisis in an Excel spreadsheet? And so, like, nobody has good tools for pricing. I mean, that, that's more comforting than the spider thing. <laughs> I think, so. I <laughs> you think know? so. We just have bad tools, and we need better tools that's yeah. better than spiders. Yeah, exactly. Because, like, I mean, or, you know, maybe it's all made up and the points don't matter. You know, um, like, where it's, it's like we have very good intraday uh, arbitrage mechanisms, but right. absolutely no long-term value discovery mechanisms. Um well, you know, most of the innovation in the like investment technology space is short term because the big long term investors outsource it to intermediaries. Like yep. I've talked to many pension funds that are like, why do we need to innovate? We outsource that to our asset managers. And my response is, well, if you outsource all your innovation to short term intermediaries, you're going to get short term innovations, you know. Yep. You have yep. to do some of the innovation yourself if you want innovations around long term investing. And I don't know if that's what we're seeing here, but it's so, I mean, it feels so disjointed from the world we're all inhabiting. Like, I haven't been out of my property here in nine weeks. Yeah, that, like, I mean, you know. so today is my literal birthday. And so to oh. celebrate, I went to the bodega and got the breakfast sandwich that I used to get every day. Oh, uh, my God. Good <laughs> like, for you. Yeah, thank you. It's really, you know. Happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. 29. Uh, I'm yeah, 21 again. Uh, no, 32 this year. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, Amazing. but like, I, I mean, for this segment, I was gonna, I was gonna try and like take apart a DCF model and sort of and sort of show where, like, you know, two months ago it might have been a we might have been assuming growth of what 21 percent or something like that, or, or right, you know, or some mark multiple of 21. I can't do that, right? Like a report just came out. Uh, two things just crossed my desk, which are insane. In addition to the uh, GDP now thing. Um, one, the Fed puts out their financial sector vulnerabilities report um, and says financial sector vulnerabilities are likely to, be, likely to be significant in the near term, meaning like consumer debt. It's going to be bad. It's going to yeah. be bad. <laughs> like batten down the hatches, chill, you know, like get comfortable where you are. It's not going to get better mm. than this. Um, yeah. And the other is a University of Chicago report that says 42% of recent layoffs will result in permanent job loss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. these jobs aren't coming back. Yep. Yeah. Know. I mean, and there've been some new jobs, geez. you know, but like it's, you know, a, a lot of, and it's going to be wave after wave. Like I, mm. I literally, th earlier this week, I was editing together uh, footage from ski season of myself wiping out uh, because that made me feel better. <laughs> There has, there has to be a better yeah, way exactly. to make yourself feel better. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, do you know any optimists? Are there any left? 
You know, it's funny. I th- the single biggest pessimist on earth I know <laughs> is the guy we're about to call. But <laughs> no, I'm serious. Oh, that's amazing. But but that in fact that's why he's got the bona fides to tell us something optimistic. So, uh, no, he's not the single most pessimistic person on earth because no venture capitalist can be. Yeah. You know, the the whole point of venture capital is you believe you can change the future, you know, somehow, some way. We've all heard the, you know, Silicon Valley trying to change the world. Um, Tom has done that. So we're going to talk to Tom Baruch about silver linings. Yep. And like Tom, uh, he's a remarkable guy. Like he's one of the people who did – Cleantech VC and did it well. Yeah. 18 IPOs. Yeah. I, I mean, that's insane. Yeah. Like that's one, insane. I, one IPO yeah. is, is a big deal. Exactly. Tom? Hey, Tom. Yes, sir. Hey, you got Ashby and Sloan here. We're happy dialing Friday. you in, dialing you in from our free money podcast. And uh, we're just thrilled to have you on for, for a couple minutes to talk silver linings about the crisis. Yeah. We're, We've sort of invoked you as our token optimist. Yeah, I described you as the most optimistic person I know. Does that sound right? I'll try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like the, the it's you know the last couple of months haven't been the greatest. I mean, Ashley says you have a silver lining of sorts. Like, how, where are you getting that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I think. This is a serious time, uh, undoubtedly. Um, and, uh, you know, Sequoia got out in front of this with the letter they put out a few days before the lockup, uh, with instructions to their portfolio companies about how to lock down appropriately and, and synchronously with, uh, the rest of the population, and, and they get out some very good advice because I believe this is going to last a while, and uh, I, I don't see us bouncing back until 2023, 2024. Uh, it's going to take time, and people are going to have to recognize that we're going to be facing a new world. Uh, I, I, I don't believe that the world that we lived in in January is ever coming back. My goodness! And, wow, uh, we're we're agape on the on the like we're literally yeah, you can't our, see our cameras, but we both just opened <laughs> our mouths and passed out when you said 2023. <laughs> wow! And I believe that we, and I mean we, everybody is going to have to change as well. Right. Uh, so. So the real challenge, I heard somebody say this the other day, the real challenge at this time is to become what you aren't yet, mm. thanks to a virus. <laughs> and in many ways, we're dealing with the unknown. Uh, and when you're dealing with the unknown, I've always found that being flexible and, and adaptive, but also elastic, is crucial. Uh, mm. And we, and the way you do that is because you realize that something has died, and right. something new is coming at the same time. And unless you're willing to put that hat on, uh, I think it's going to be could be 2040 before we get this thing turned around. 
but we have to we have to mourn <laughs> mourn the old days and yeah. uh, look look forward to the to the new world and uh, something new is going to happen and and there will be an adaptation uh, I mean it, it stretches us and 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 it requires a certain consciousness that that people are not used to having to have. What sort of adaptation do you see coming? Because, like, I, I mean, there's this sort of meme that's going around where it's like, um, you know, dolphins have returned to the Venice Canal. Nature is healing. We are the virus. Um, is that the sort of uh, the development that you see coming? I I think that's part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I I believe that uh, concepts. <laughs> I believe we're entering a period, thanks to technology, of uh, free clean water, mm. free energy, and free protein. And we've mm. already demonstrated that in our portfolio. Mm. Uh, so we have a company called Zero Mass Water that, that makes pure water from the atmosphere using solar. and. Uh, very cheap and uh, very clean, and it's already being deployed in third world countries, um, mostly in the Persian Gulf. Uh, but so, solar is a race to zero. Hmm. Uh, solar is absolutely free. We're hearing now uh, one cent kilowatt hour solar, uh, and Solar is not just about uh, making electricity. It's about doing a lot of things with that electricity. So integrating other functionality with that electricity, which derives from the fact that solar is about making electrons. It's, it's, uh, whereas the existing infrastructure which is now sitting in uh, New York Harbor and, and uh, San Francisco Bay and tankers, uh, you know, that's dead meat. That, that's liquid fuels. It's about molecules. The, the new world is about electrons. And, and I, I believe that very strongly. And, and, and I believe I have evidence. And that's one of the reasons I started my family fund was I wanted to prove uh, six years ago that we could create a portfolio of free everything, free energy, free water, free food. Free money, perhaps? That's what our podcast is about. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, Tom, that's the name of our podcast. <laughs> I don't want to turn that into, I don't want to turn this into a totally political discussion, although, you know, the without the participation of uh, the regulatory bodies uh this uh, they have to become elastic too mm. yeah <laughs> that, that's going to be hard now the good news is that in the financial community we are seeing companies like blackrock they are tipping their toe in the water on uh the green swan uh-huh. Uh, I would say so far just tipping their toe in the water, but um, they just invested in 
and this is not public yet. They don't say it. Don't say it. <laughs> this is going out to the public. <laughs> All right, I won't say it. They just yeah. invest in one of our companies uh, that is in the free category. Oh, good, Tom. Real, real quick, I want to just say um, the the conundrum. I think what I love about you is you, you mix like a, a a sense of pessimism with optimism that is like nobody I've ever seen. Like on the one hand, you're like 2040, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, like world is we're over. done. <laughs> and on the other hand, you're like free energy, free water, um, all this amazing. And so this is this is really why I wanted to invite you in to have a conversation about silver linings because I find your description. Um, of like this black swan that we're all leading to. And these are Tom's words, by the way, black swan that we're all living to through right now, leading to a green swan. And I heard you mention the green swan, I don't know, 45 seconds ago. Tom, can you just walk us through that, like that kind of framework you've you've come up with? Uh, the green swan is not something I came up with. Uh, the green swan is something that a person named uh, John Elkington came up with. Okay. Uh, John Elkington has been writing uh, about uh, <laughs> the period we're now in for a long time, and uh, but he's he's definitely somebody who who I admire a great deal uh, because he also understands the power of technology and the power of technology to push goods to becoming free. Uh, all these, all these, uh, in in the case of the water, what what is a huge enabling factor in the water company is cloud computing, because the software to run the units is downloaded on cloud on the cloud. Right. Uh, the uh, on on the protein situation, it's synthetic biology. And this is a company called Callista, and what Callista does is they make uh, protein from natural gas, which, of course, is cheap and will wow. be cheaper and cheaper forever. And so, and that, this I can say, uh, British Petroleum has invested $30 million in this company. Wow. Um there's a company called Adicio, which uh, actually is 80% owned by China Chem, Chem, and uh, headquartered in Paris for some reason. I don't, I don't know all that background, but they <laughs> invested $70 million, uh, and we have a joint venture with them to make fish food in China. China's the largest market in the world for aqua farming. And of course, fish is a staple of the Chinese diet. Uh, so our target market for for Callista has been in, in the uh, fish food market. And, you know, we're going to do very well because right now what they're doing is they're feeding carnivorous fish. They're feeding them with anchovies that they harvest off the coast of South America and then ship to the aqua farms on old freighters. Uh, the aqua farms are located in Norway and Sweden in the North Sea. So a uh, huge waste of energy involved there. Uh, we take natural gas right at 
England, Scotland, in that area, converted into protein, and boom, goes into the fish. Uh, so these, this is, these are not figments of my imagination. We're doing this. Right. Now, the protein is not free, but it's, it's probably ultimately three or four orders of magnitude cheaper than meat made from beasts that make a lot of methane. Wow. So I, I do believe that in, in a way, Elkington talks about COVID-19 as the dry run for the climate emergency. And yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not too worried about that because I, I think with the innovations that we're going to be bringing forward, particularly in the intersection of what Silicon Valley calls technology, mm. but intersection of technology with biology and material science, we're, we're going to harvest uh, opportunities to really be very elastic going forward. Uh, but of course, you know, making it all happen is not going to be easy. And so the last medium paper I wrote was about how you have to go about that. And, 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 and it's going to take movements. It's going to take people with disparate agendas to come together and fix things. So what I really see is what, what Ashby was talking about is this transition from black swan, which is COVID-19, and green swan, which is really represented by what today people are calling ESG investing, um, yeah. environmental social governance. This is going to happen. I've seen evidence. I mean, why did BlackRock invest in our company? They, they did. I'm not mm. telling you which one they invested in. But <laughs> in one Don't get us in trouble. <laughs> And 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 uh, so I think that one of the technologies which which I think is uh, uh, unbelievable when properly applied is is AI, and uh, you <laughs> we can put a lot of people out of business with AI, but what scares me is that the the government, especially our current government, is going to try and prop up all these broken old industries. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, so we're not going to we're not going to add to GNP. Yeah, mm. that's the problem. The mm. way to add to GNP is free energy, free food, free water. Right. Yeah. That way, that way, we'll build a very prosperous society. Because those become the new inputs for the new industries, right? Like if you can bring those down to zero, then those become, you know, inputs into different production functions. And then we really kind of get a step change in um, innovation and growth. You look at the, even the CEO of BP the other day, he said that, oh, we uh, have reached a peak. <laughs> finally, peak oil. <laughs> oh, we're finally there? Oh, wow. Wow. 
So, you know, he talks about seismic shift and all that. Um, and, you know, the fact is, uh, in our portfolio of about 30, what I call climate restoration and uh, resource scarcity companies, uh, I, I think I counted the other day, eight of them are very actively involved in applying AI. Hmm. Uh, and 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 it's a great way to improve how to do things, how to think about things, how to make things. This is so cool because you're like with each of these companies, you're basically taking something that might easily be seen as like science fiction and translating it into actual fact, right? Observable fact. Um, but you know, this is like I, I love asking people this question because it says a lot about. Uh, what we kind of hope for. Um, I wonder, like, because that's all stuff that, you know, you've believed, you put your money to work, and you're in effect proving it. Um, is there anything that you believe intensely, but know that you could never prove? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> well, I know I'm going to sound a little Pollyannish here, but I heard uh in, in the most recent letter to Berkshire Hathaway shareholders, mm -hmm. uh, I have this thing right in front of me, as a matter of fact, I look at it every day. Warren Buffett wrote, America's economy will continue to grow and prosper for generations to come. He, and he said, for 240 years, it's been a terrible mistake to bet against America. Hmm. And I think you could substitute Silicon Valley for America now, maybe. But uh, you know, we 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 are just masterful at applying our our know-how and ingenuity to things. Uh, the first challenge, of course, from COVID nineteen is to make our supply chains more resilient, because for too long, supply chains have been about. How do you maximize the velocity of cash flow? But that has proven to be not such a good thing for people's lives. And so we have to think in much more holistic terms of who benefits and who doesn't benefit. Uh, and, and I think we have to fix these supply chains. Uh, and, and, uh, and that's a good place to start. That could be a good place to start uh, with uh, green, you know, the transition from 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 black swan to green swan, uh, and then I, I can't lay this out step by step, but I know it's going to happen. It's just a question of time, and it's a question of how obstructive the regulatory system becomes, mm. because the, the Technology's there. The financial system is starting to move over slowly, but they're starting to say, hey, you want money from us, you better be GHG positive or whatever. Mm -hmm. We say that because one of the other things I do is um, I'm an advisor to Breakthrough Energy Coalition or Breakthrough Energy Ventures, 
which is uh, Bill Gates' uh, venture capital fund. It's a $1.2 billion venture capital fund focused primarily on uh, negative carbon. And I can see what we're doing. The things we're doing are, are fantastic. And so there's a lot in synthetic biology. We're doing a lot in food. We're doing a lot in agriculture. And it's not going to be a 20-year deal. We can do it in 10 years. People used to think that to really affect the kind of change that you're talking about with free water, free electricity, and free so on, it, is, it, it takes 20 years. You have all these scaling issues. Mm-hmm. And, and it's all true. But now you have tools that we never had before. Right. And if, if, if you would ask me, What's the next big thing? I think it's very much in the area of data analytics. Um, the, the ability to recognize certain patterns and and then be able to identify the conditions associated with those patterns and, and reproduce whatever it is you want. Uh, there's a company called uh, Cobalt, which is using that technology, what they're doing is they're digitalizing old, what you might call analog mining maps. And when they digitalize all this information, then they can look at patterns of uh, certain where certain minerals have existed in the past. And then they try to identify where those patterns exist but have not yet been exploited. Right. And, and their target market is cobalt. Hmm. And I think that was really clever that these guys, sure. they, that's one of the reasons I invested in the company because there's hundreds of people out there who think they're going to be the, they're going to find the next big pool of oil. Right. Well, they're yeah. not. Yeah. I mean, the big, the big money has already proven that any, oil incremental to Saudi Arabia uh, is going to be very hard to pull out of the ground. Uh, I mean, my view is that we can, one of the reasons why people are going to transition to green faster than anybody ever thought is because what has been demonstrated in the last couple of months is that the oil industry is broken. You have one producer who controls most of the oil in the world and can pull it out of the ground for $9 a barrel. Mm. You have American frackers, and I can tell you without revealing the source, you just have to take it for faith, that it costs $40 a barrel. Cost. Direct cost. Yep. So every time they sell a, a barrel of oil for $30 a barrel, they're wrapping $10 around it. Mm. Yep. And you know, one thing about energy, if you're, you're going to have a digitalized grid, you've got to have a reliable source of energy. Well, what's more reliable than the sun? Nothing. If we Nothing. can't rely on the sun, we might as well forget it. 
Yeah, it does come. It, it comes up every. I mean, although it, I guess you know, some days in the past couple of weeks, it's felt like the sun maybe wasn't coming up. But I think like it's really fascinating to listen to you because you're like personally getting me out of an imagination rut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the silver lining is coming through very clearly from from you, yeah. Tom. Um, I think we could probably sit here and talk to you all day because of the stories you have. Um, but like you've, you've kind of nailed it in terms of what we were hoping, which is Thank you so much coming through this crisis and seeing like a much brighter future and, and somehow being pessimistic and optimistic at the same time, which is, I think your, your secret sauce. So Tom, thank you. Thank you so much, Tom. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to me. Oh, oh, oh kidding. It's a pleasure. We loved it. We loved it. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, have a great weekend. Yeah, have fun. guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That's I could listen to him talk for you know, a very long time. Some I hope somebody writes a book on Tom's because it, it like we've all heard about the clean tech bubble and burst. Yeah. I think he's the only venture investor or one of the few, I'm sure there's a few others out there that like did it, that made it through that. And he has 18 IPOs and eight M&A deals and he led all that stuff. And he's like salt of the earth, you know, yeah. he's still incredibly grounded in terms of the pessimism side, <laughs> but it also still f manages to be an optimist. So, um, yeah, he's a great person. Anybody do doesn't know Tom, I encourage you to look him up because he's just uh, an incredible resource. So, And one of the things that I think is so cool about the way that he was talking and thinking is that like, you know, Underlying it all is a different way of looking at what constitutes economic progress, right? Right. Uh, you know, because like the, you know, when GDP as a measure was introduced, uh, you know, the person who introduced it was like, don't, don't use this as a benchmark. It's a bad benchmark. It's just some number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's in the congressional record. Uh, yeah. You know, but here, here's Tom saying like, look, we have to think about growth differently, moving stuff from, you know, like. Argentina to Norway, even though it creates economic activity, is a waste. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what we're learning in this whole weird moment. You know, and that takes us back to like what we kick the show off with. Like, yeah, what, the assumptions we use to drive so much of our behavior are wrong. And so yeah. GDP, GNP, uh, these are like the, the key drivers we use to like think about what we're doing with our capital. And, and I always go back to this um, story about Black Scholes, which is the tool we use to price options. It wasn't even that good at pricing options. It's just yeah. that we all we all agreed that we would use Black Scholes to price options. And so when there's no crisis, it's pretty good because that's what we're all using. And that's called performativity. Where yeah. like the fact that we all agree that this is the the method means that the method actually starts to work. Yep. <laughs> uh, and so... Yeah, it's just a fascinating thing. Like occasionally we we just have to go back and revisit um the very like benchmarks we use to think about growth and economic uh resources. So that's so cool. But it's good. that's a Ah, uh, that's the uh the Here we the, go. The, the Dear Ashby horn. Uh and dear listeners, Dear Ashby is a segment where uh we take questions for Ashby um and uh he answers them and most pretty of these, simple. Uh, yeah, pretty straightforward. And these come from you, believe it or not. Um, so if you want to ask one in the next episode, go ahead and slide into one of our DMs on Twitter or uh, send an email to uh, freemoneypod at gmail.com. Um, so the first one that I, that I got is kind of funny because it's like, okay. um, so private equity funds, when the market sells off, uh, 
don't go down automatically, right? <laughs> right. Okay. And I was explaining this to a friend, and they were like, and that's bad? Right? Yeah. Like, I, you would, I mean, it is so bad. Why, why is it that that's bad? <laughs> well, it makes PE funds look more resilient and reliable than they really are. There's an accounting treatment. It's called roll forward. You know, they take a prior nav and they just roll it forward with a ridiculous assumption. Is there a theme that we've got in this show? <laughs> ridiculous assumptions you'd be used to project the future. Um, and, and so what you end up seeing are a lot of limited partners, the investors in private equity funds, seeing private equity as more resilient and reliable and downside protection in a crisis, even yep. though it's literally just an accounting treatment. Um, and so... If the valuations of private equity funds, you know, stay high in a crisis, uh, it allows pension funds and other. Um, oh, I just had a dog pop up next to me. Hi, Mega Dog. Uh, it allows the the pension funds to avoid steep drops in their assets under management, which. Um, if they can avoid that, it means avoiding forced contributions from the sponsor. And so you might think all oh, that sounds good, but the reality is it distorts capital to flow into these incredibly costly vehicles. Yep. You know, it, it's like, let's not report big losses because it avoids us having to take care of those losses. Well, if you are the, the beneficiary as the GP, that that's the, the product you sell. Look, we're going to give you some performance called investment returns, but we're also going to let you pretend that your assets haven't gone down when they have gone down. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a, that is a value proposition. That's, a, that's almost as good as portable alpha beverage. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, if you could think of that, if that was toothpaste, right. And they were like, like, hey, it's going to look, you can clean your teeth, yeah. but also when your teeth aren't clean, you can pretend they're clean. Totally. I mean, you know? literally, it's like the lack of fair economic value is valuable. Do oh, you know what I mean? So perverse. That's so perverse. Yes. <laughs> and, and then there's another part, which is um, defined contribution plans where like uh, we as individuals, most young people under 50 have defined contribution plans. It's like a 401k in the US, a super fund in Australia. Um, because those accounts usually allow you liquidity very quickly in terms of moving in and out of different asset classes, if you do have an exposure to private equity, you can game the system. And so what we've seen in Australia right now, and this is the big driver of this issue. I don't know if you were aware of that, Sloan, but this issue has come to the fore right now, in part because the Australians have said, we're going to let a bunch of Australians take money out of their accounts. And that's going to be a stimulus, a cheap stimulus. Well, mm. if people are taking money out of their accounts now, they're getting a higher valuation that is fair. And the people that are left in the accounts are going to get hammered when those prices finally get reconciled in the market. And so the Australians have been like, oh, crap, we actually need to value these things almost in real time. And so the Australians are then going to like destroy this um, you know, the value of ha not having fair value, uh, yep. for the rest of the world. Typical. Good for them. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> that was yeah, a complicated I mean, one. That was a yeah. complicated <laughs> one. If you followed that, you know, you just won bonus points. Yeah, it's the, you know, it's the Australian conspiracy to upset, upset the private equity talk tycoons. I love These it. Australians are just too damn professional. You know, they yep. just do their jobs too well. They're just making it hard on all the people who don't. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, um, okay, so another, I mean, this is kind of, I, I guess, related in that it's, we're definitely in pension land still. Um, okay. My favorite Calpers, land. Yeah, exactly. The land 
of defined uh, benefit for pension funds. Um, the CalPERS, which is one of the largest such things, uh, caught some flack just now for unwinding a tail hedge program, which would protect mm-hmm. from, uh, you know, kind of the uh, the impact of an, a big stock sell off literally right before a big stock sell off. Um, so the question yeah. is, is that bad luck or a bad decision? It's not a bad decision. CalPERS was right. And look, in investing, uh, you can be totally and objectively right and still lose money and look t- completely foolish. Yeah. And and unfortunately for the CalPERS team, like that's what happened. I, I think, and I know that like people have written articles both ways since this, I think they were totally right to unwind it. Uh, this type of tail risk hedge is expensive. And and I'm not a big fan when long-term investors, investors with like liability profiles extending out 75 years and that have investment beliefs that state they believe in the power of long-termism and take a long-term view. Like they're, I hate it when these long-term investors try to get cute with their portfolios in this way and try to, in effect, time the market. Yep. Ensuring the downside is basically market timing. They're expensive. You you automatically lose money every time you keep that insurance policy in place. And it's about trying to avoid the worst losses. And so um, in my mind, first of all, the evidence is really clear that we suck at market timing. Like we're, we often do it poorly. But beyond that, it's just this notion of taking a longer term view, um, you know, that that short term hedge is just that it's not saying, look, we're we're counter cyclical. Uh, we're going to have ups and downs. You know, I can imagine the discussion with the board where you're like, uh, Normally, I would say you talk to the board about being long term and you set everybody's expectations that there's going to be volatility and that's okay. And, you know, we're in it for the long term. We'll be counter cyclical. And then I imagine like, how do you sell a count, you know, a tail risk hedge? You literally go to the, you go to the board and you say, we're long term, but we should really be like tilting in and out of this stuff and and being, making active bets that most hedge funds get wrong. Um, But here we are, CalPERS in Sacramento, basically trying to, you know, call top on the market yep. super hard I, I think this was such a big story because it is like, like if you're tr- if you're marketing trying to sell any kind of uh equity neutral or risk neutral fund that's it's a perfect thing to call up all your accounts and say hey look you know uh you could have been the smart person in this setting yeah uh, you know and uh it's i don't know look i think Just- there's a role for tail risk hedging especially if you have like a massive liability coming up yeah. Right. You, you know, buy more equities like, if you if you're well hedged. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So so you're like, gosh, we have huge cash flow flows coming, and yet we don't want to like go through the transaction costs of getting out of the market and holding cash, which is expensive to do. So like, I understand there are certain players for which it makes sense, but for big long term pensions with intergenerational time horizons and steady cash flows in and out, um, it it felt like it was right to unwind it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this is the last one. And this is, I mean, you know, it was funny when Tom was like, let's not get into politics, which is like something we do way too often, probably. Yeah, we sometimes <laughs> we, we're just disenfranchising our listeners. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The, you know, we're just like, this is a, this whole podcast is a systematic attack on the private <laughs> equity industry. But I wish people uh, could see your T-shirt right now. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, my shirt says OMG GOP WTF. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway so the, there's a in you know brooklyn and uh, probably a lot of places there's a pretty significant movement to cancel rent right which as a renter sounds pretty good right but yeah what would the long-term consequences of that be 
Yeah, I think for the renter, it's I don't see many negatives. I think it sounds pretty yeah, great from the renting perspective. I think it's probably bad for the people that own the property and might be like using the expected returns and cash flows to um, pay the mortgage or the debt. I mean, most of this property yeah. is like bought with leverage, right? So mortgages, yeah. loans, and as like so, I um, I've overseen a bunch of like pension investments in in commercial real estate. Not so much the rent that you're talking about, r- residential real estate. But you know, there, there's a lot of assumptions, and usually the the returns that are being underwritten to aren't insanely high. And so yep. you're flying a little bit close to the sun. You want to win the deal, which means that you're like, oh, how do we get the pricing right so we win the deal, right? Well, so everything is. Um, Let's call it dialed in. If you if you take a year off of rent, you're going to potentially see um, quite a people a bit of people defaulting on those loans, uh, on those mortgages, and that can have like consequences down the road. So my my bias here would be to cancel some student debt, especially yeah. that held by the government. Let's cancel some credit card debt, and then I, and then the last thought I had is like let's actually throw cash out of helicopters. Like Ben Bernanke said, let's, but here's the thing. I, Bernanke said that, and then I think they did it, but I think they were doing it hovering over financial services buildings and billionaires' (laughs) houses because I didn't get any. So, like, let's literally have helicopters over blue collar neighborhoods chucking cash. I mean, there have been, (laughs) there have been like the Blue Angels flew over New York City. Just have cash coming out the back. Yeah. I mean, like, it's not really, it's not too much to ask for. Uh, I mean, I guess we're kind of having that happen right now with the paychecks, right? But yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah. but still, I, I love the visual of helicopters throwing just cash. I, I do love the canceling student debt idea as a replacement stimulus because, like, the there's no like, I mean, housing subsidies tend to go to people who don't need them, right? My grandfather yeah. has a, has a rent subsidized apartment, you know, and it like he, it's in the village. He pays like nine hundred bucks a month for a four bedroom apartment in the village. It should be what yeah five thousand dollars a month or something like that. Yeah, and he if it wasn't subsidized, he'd just get rid of it, and there would have been another thing on the market, and you know, housing would be more available and probably cheaper. Um, the so only yeah, problem I mean, with with the student debt is it's uh, it has a class component. Like true. Like if we're true. if we're gonna do the cancel student debt, then like can we give um, free childcare to a bunch of people who definitely need free childcare? Uh, the problem right yeah. now is. What are you going to take your kid to like a group uh, preschool, you know, a daycare, and then they're going to get all? Like, think about the bugs that normally get shared. Yeah, exactly. Daycare, it's like a petri dish. It's petri exactly dish so. Uh, so this is super hard for a lot of families, and there isn't an easy answer. Just like the rent is not an easy thing to to just make free, um, and that's why you know the helicopter could be as reasonable as any of the others. Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, like, I, it's, you know, I need one where free money is acceptable to me. We're uh, all about the free money. In fact, yeah. we might um, name our podcast that. Yeah, exactly. Maybe there's something to that. So I think this about does it for us this week. Yeah. But fr- friends, family, uh, lovers, whatever out there, uh, if you enjoy the podcast or just suspect that we have great hair or whatever, uh, please leave us a review. Tell us you love us on iTunes. Oh, yeah. um, that's and, the first time we've said that. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's like what, it's what <laughs> we real should probably say that say. more. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, it's a good idea. Good job. Good job. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, goodbye. Bye. <laughs>
rain on them. 